Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. Well, good morning, family. What a good thing it is that we can stand on the promises of God. We have His sure word upon which to build our lives as well as our hope. I encourage you this morning to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 16. As we begin a new series, two weeks ago we celebrated Christmas Christmas is arguably the holiday that gets the most attention and the most fanfare in our year. And certainly the advent of Emmanuel, God with us, is something worth celebrating because the entrance of God into our world as a human baby was the most astounding event of human history, only exceeded in significance to us by his death and resurrection on our behalf. And yet, when Jesus was born, no one understood nor appreciated the monumental nature of the birth of that baby. A baby born to a poor couple in a small rural village in Judea. Except for a few shepherds and some wise men traveling from the east. To the world of that day, literally everything else was more important than the birth of that baby Jesus. It mattered as much to them, about like some birth of a random baby in Somalia this morning matters to us. We don't have a problem with that. We just, none of us thought about there was probably a baby born in Somalia this morning. The world didn't notice, and quite frankly, the world didn't care what happened in Bethlehem that night. And it occurs to me that when God does great things, our world is generally unaware. And that what God considers important, our world generally ignores. And so I wonder what would happen if we took a survey today of the man on the street, go and walk the streets of St. Louis and took a survey and asked this question, how valuable, how important is the church? I have a feeling the news wouldn't uh, encourage most of us. We would probably run into a few people who have issues with the church Some who are antagonistic, they hate the church. Some who 
are angry at the church because they were burned by some experience with the church. We also would probably run into a few people who love the church. Oh, I love the church. It's exciting. But I have a feeling that the vast majority of people that we run into would be very, at best, just kind of apathetic about the church, doesn't really care one way or the other, or at best are very mildly, yeah, I kind of think the church is a good thing. And, and we know, we would expect that's the way the world views the church. We might think that's how liberal Christians view the church. But what about evangelical Christians? People who would say they believe the Bible is the Word of God. People who would say that they are trusting in Jesus Christ as their Savior. That they have been born again. According to research out there, roughly 25% of the population of the United States identifies as evangelical Christian and would say they agree with those things I just said. What if we asked this question of those people? What would they say? How would they answer? I don't know. I haven't read a survey asking that question of evangelical Christians. But I did see a study that was done year before last, 2022, that was done by the American, what is it again, the American Enterprise Institute Survey Center on American Life. They did a study on evangelical church attendance, church attendance by people who identify as evangelical Christians. Do you care to guess what they discovered about how many evangelical, Bible-believing Christians attend church regularly? Survey says 24%, just under one in four evangelical Christians attends church regularly. That means out of the 83 million evangelical Christians in our country, less than 20 million are in church on any given Sunday. 76% of them usually never darken the door of a church on any given week. Even worse, one-third, 33% of those who say they are evangelical Christians Never go to church at all. So however they might answer this question, when we look at how they live, what they say is church is not important. It's not vital. It really doesn't matter to me. And you hear that if you talk to Many professing Christians, even who claim to be evangelical Christians. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'm trusting in Him. I love Jesus. I just don't love the church. 
I don't really need the church, don't really have any use for the church. You know, around the world today, millions of our brothers and sisters who live in countries where there is persecution, they risk, they risk their they risk pay, having to pay fines. They risk having their property confiscated. They risk being imprisoned. They risk facing beatings, even death, to gather together as the church, and yet they do so faithfully. While here in America, the majority of those who claim to believe and trust in Jesus as their Savior, claim to believe the Bible is the Word of God, stay home. I think that in America, we really need a compelling vision of the church. And I know this morning I'm preaching to the choir. You're here. Most of you are here every week or close to it. But I intend for the next couple of weeks to do our part, to do my part as a pastor, and hopefully to expand our view and our value of the church. So in the next three weeks, we're going to look in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to see there three pictures of the church that are painted there for us. The church as a body, the church as a building, and the church as a bride. But today, before we go there, I want to go back before the founding of the church to Jesus and ask the question, what does Jesus say about the church? There are only two times in the gospel that the church is mentioned. Only two times that are recorded where Jesus speaks about the church. Both of those are in the book of Matthew. And the first of them, as I asked you this morning to open to Matthew, the first of them we find in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Now it's about six months before the crucifixion. Jesus and his disciples have gone north of Galilee, north and a little bit to the east, to the area called Caesarea Philippi, a city there. They're near that city. The disciples have been following Jesus now for three years. And as I said, in six months, Jesus is going to be hanging on a cross But Jesus asked these disciples a question there in Matthew 16, verse 13. He asks, who do people say the Son of Man is? And the disciples respond with this answer. Some people say that you are John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then in verse 15, Jesus asks, but who do you Say that I am. And it's Simon Peter who speaks up, bless him. The guy who usually puts his foot in his mouth, and this time though, he nails it. And Simon declares, verse 16, You are the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And here's our verse this morning. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Several things for us to notice here about the church, for us to learn about the church. And the first is that Jesus is speaking of the church that is the church is universal and it is invisible. You'll notice he says that I will build my church singular, not church as. It's not a Baptist church or a Methodist church or a Presbyterian church or any denomination, but it includes people from all of those. This church is as the Apostles' Creed puts it. In the Apostles' Creed, we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Catholic there not meaning or not referring to the Roman Catholic Church, but the word Catholic means universal. I believe in the universal church. It is the church that is made up of, it encompasses every believer in Jesus Christ. Everyone who has been born again in Christ from all ages and in all places. So whether that believer is in Somalia or Uganda or Mongolia or in Arkansas, whether they are today or whether it was a thousand years ago or the very first day the church was born, all the way up until Jesus Christ comes again, it encompasses every believer in Jesus Christ. That's the church Jesus is speaking of here. It is invisible because we cannot see all of the church. We cannot see the church universal. We cannot see with our own eyes right now the believers around the world nor the believers of other times. So the church universal and invisible. It is a spiritual reality that we cannot see it. A second thing that we can learn about the church here is that this church Jesus speaks of is something new. Jesus says, I will, future tense, I will build my church. Something was coming that wasn't in existence yet. The church was born. It came into existence about eight months after Jesus makes this statement. Again, six months after this, he is crucified. On the third day, he rises from the dead. Fifty days later, 50 days after the Feast of first fruits, which is the day Jesus rose from the dead, was the Feast of Pentecost. And it was on that day, recorded in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, that the church was born. The Apostle Paul, later writing to the Ephesians about the church, writes this, 
And he says, to bring light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Paul says the church was a mystery, something hidden, something surprising and wonderful that God is now revealing to display his His wisdom and his glory, not only to us, but to those in the heavenly realms, the heavenly places. The church is still in the process of being built today and won't be complete until the day Jesus returns for his church. But it's something marvelous, something we're a part of, Paul says is a wonderful thing. Another thing that we can note from this little text, this little verse, is that it is Jesus' church. He says, I will build my church. The church belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to pastors. Some pastors think that some church is theirs. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't belong to the Pope doesn't belong to TV evangelist or a denomination or an organization. As Acts 20 reminds us, it's the church Jesus bought. He purchased with his own blood. It belongs to him. Not only does Jesus own the church, Jesus is the foundation of the church. Jesus says here, on this rock, I will build my church. Our Roman Catholic friends will say that this rock that Jesus is going to build the church on is Peter. And they say that because Peter's name in Greek is rock. He was rocky. And so Jesus, when he says, I'm going to build my church on this rock, then obviously he's talking about Peter. But they miss the point. Jesus uses a different word for rock. You see, Peter's name in Greek is Petros. Petros means a little rock, a stone, maybe even a a boulder. And Jesus says, you are Petros, you're a little rock. And he was a little boulder sometimes, and the other disciples, (laughs) dad joke. (laughs) But Jesus says, upon this not Petros, upon this Petra. Petra is the the word for this. A massive outcropping of rock. A rock cliff. Exposed bedrock. Upon this massive rock, I will build my church. You, Petros, little rock, just made a rock of Gibraltar statement. Who do you say I am? You, Jesus, are the Christ, the promised Messiah, the Son of God. You are God. And Jesus said, you nailed it. Upon that rock of Gibraltar statement, upon that reality of the identity of Jesus Christ, the church will be built. 
Jesus is the foundation. By the way, Peter was not confused as to who the foundation of the church was. If you go over to his first letter, 1 Peter, you find in chapter 2, we won't go there this morning, but you can go and read, and what you find is he speaks of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, and you and I, like living stones, are being built upon Jesus, who is the foundation, the cornerstone of the church. Peter understood who the rock was that Jesus was speaking of here. Another thing we notice about the church, Jesus not only is the foundation of the church, Jesus is the builder of the church. I will build my church. That says several things. It says to us that, by the way, you and I can't put anybody into Jesus' church. I can't make you a member of Jesus' church. Only Jesus can do that. The word, the word church, by the way, in Greek is the word ecclesia. And ecclesia means the called out ones or a called out assembly, a called out group. The church, in other words, is made up of people that Jesus calls out, that Jesus has called to himself. We do not become part of Jesus' church by joining some you know, some church like the Chapel of the Lake or any other church. We don't, we don't get joined to Jesus by joining a church. We get joined to Jesus' church. We get put into Jesus' church by being joined to him. You might wonder, how do I know if I am one of Jesus' called out ones? If I am in his church, the answer is simple. Acts 16.31, how can I be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in Jesus, whoever receives him, are those that Jesus has called out. He places them in his church. The real question this morning is, are you a part of Jesus' church? Are you in his church? Sitting here in the chapel of the lake won't do that for you. I'm glad you're sitting here, but sitting here won't make you a Christian any more than sitting in my garage will make you a car. The Bible is very clear. It is only by believing in Jesus Christ. Those who do are his called out ones. He has called us. We've responded to his call. We are in his church. So if you're here this morning or you're watching online, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you need to trust in him. Another thing I learned from this statement of Jesus, not only is he the the foundation and the builder, but I realize that victory is assured because Jesus says, I will build my church. He has a purpose for it. He has a plan for it. He has a design for it. And it will certainly be accomplished to the very finest detail and the very last person because Jesus will do it. And he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail 
against it. A lot of people, by the way, a lot of us tend to read this, that statement wrong. And we, th- we hear it and we say, what that means is that Satan and all of his power will not come against the church and defeat the church. But that's not what it says. That's reading it backwards. It says, the gates of hell will not prevail. Gates, you see, are not an offensive weapon. Gates are defensive. (laughs) They're designed to keep some things in and other things out. And Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail. They will not stand against the church. Satan desires to keep people trapped in sin and death. And Jesus is saying those gates of sin and death and hell cannot prevent him from calling out his church wherever and whenever in this world. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings life and freedom to those imprisoned by sin and death. His church wins. Yay! Or you can say amen. It's okay. Well, there's so much here. I need to move quickly because time is quickly moving away from us. We need to move to the second place where this word church shows up in the gospel. We find it again in Matthew, but just over a couple of chapters. So just flip a couple of pages to chapter 18 of Matthew. It's a longer passage, but I promise I'll keep my comments shorter. Okay, promise I'll do that so we won't be late to dinner. By the way, dinner in my house is supper, just so you know. Verse 15, Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. Say, Pastor, what in the world does this have to do with the church? Well... Obviously, primarily, Jesus here is talking about how we deal with a sinning brother. But he mentions the church here in verse 17. And that's worth noting, especially since the church hadn't been invented yet. It hadn't been born yet, hadn't been birthed yet. So Jesus is giving us a little preview While he's talking about how to deal with the sinning brother, when we look at this through the lens of the church, we can make some observations about the church and learn a little bit about how Jesus views the church. You see, first, I notice that Jesus says, tell this matter to the church. Now, we'd said a moment ago that the church is universal and invisible. Have you ever tried talking to anything universal and invisible? Well, God. (laughs) We can talk to him, but the church can't do that. We can't talk to a universal and invisible church. Who do we talk to? Jesus is referring, you see, here to a gathering 
of the church that is local, in other words, is near us and is visible. He's talking about people that we can see and touch and interact with. And he's calling that the church. So yes, the church is universal and invisible, but the church is also local and visible. Jesus is intending that those who are in his universal and invisible church will be gathering together with other believers and there will be local church as, as we see throughout the New Testament. As the church is born, the disciples go out and they, they institute, they establish churches in every city. And the believers gather and they meet often in homes. They were house churches because they were small very often. And it's real live people. Jesus, I realize, intends for those in his church to be gathering in local assemblies. The local church is a visible manifestation of the invisible church. Some have said it's kind of like the moon. We look at the moon, and when it's not a full moon, we look at the, when the moon has waned almost to the, to the, to where it disappears, or it's just beginning, beginning to wax and show before, we see this little sliver of a moon. And we look up in the sky, and we don't say, I see part of the moon. We say, I see the moon. (laughs) That little sliver represents all of the moon, because all of the moon is there, We just can't see it all. And so is the church. The local church is to be a visible manifestation, something we can see in a little form of something that we cannot see. The universal and invisible church we cannot see, but I can look around here and I can see a little of what the church is because I see the church here. Jesus expects and assumes that we as his followers will be connected to a local church, even as the writer of Hebrews will later instruct us, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. He must have been writing about 21st century American Christians. It is the habit of some not to meet together, but that shouldn't be our habit. Matter of fact, he says we should be meeting together all the more as we see the day approaching of the return of Jesus. Some things, though, that we can notice about this text now as we look at it through the lens of the church. First, the church is local and visible, but we keep going. In this local and and visible church, there is accountability. There's accountability here for a brother who has committed a sin, an offense against another brother. We're aware that this guy has sinned, and so what am I to do? As a believer in Jesus Christ, I should go to that brother and say, hey, man, what you've done here is out of line with the Word of God. It's, you're doing what Jesus says not to do, and it's sin and it's wrong. He says, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Restored him back into walking and following with Christ. If he doesn't listen to you, you take a couple of witnesses. And if he doesn't listen to those, then you take it to the church. 
And what we see here is that the church, by the way, is full of flawed members. Have you noticed that? Look at the person next to you and just notice how flawed they are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this place is full of those people. How did they get in here? Because Jesus saved sinners. And so this place is full of sinners. But Jesus intends that his church will be a place where we all find help and where we find encouragement and where we find accountability to help us to follow Christ. Where little by little we are being changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Little by little we are growing to be more like him. Little by little, hopefully, we are sinning a little less and living more righteously. The church is designed to help its members to grow into maturity and faithfulness in following Jesus. And so we find throughout the New Testament that submission and commitment to one another in the local church is integral to spiritual health and to the Christian life. Another thing I notice here in this little example Jesus gives is that the church is a defined group. In other words, there are clearly those who are a part of this church and there are those who are not. The the local church is composed of those who are professing faith in Jesus Christ and who have expressed commitment to follow him And if someone is sinning, living in sin, doing something that is wrong, and they have not responded to a person who has tried to gently bring them back into doing what is right, and they haven't listened to two or three who have come with them, and then it says you're to tell it to the church. And if they will not listen to the church, what are they to do? It says here, treat them as an unbeliever. You see, it is, it's antithetical, it's contradictory, it's unthinkable for someone to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, I am a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and then to say, when confronted with what Jesus says, to say that, that they are not doing or that they are doing what Jesus said don't do, and they say, I don't care what Jesus says. I'm going to do what I want. Those two things don't jive. And it is the responsibility of the church to say, you're not living as a follower of Jesus, so we have to assume, and you refuse to, we have to assume you are not a follower of Jesus. So rather than being a part of the mission team of the church, you are part of the mission field. You are not in the church, you are outside the church. Very clearly there are those who are in and those who are out. And we see that consistently on the pages of Scripture that churches always knew who's in and who's out. I believe, if humanly possible, from these things we've seen so far, I believe, if humanly possible, every believer in Jesus Christ should be connected into 
and committed to and faithfully gathering with a local group, a local church of believers. Now some folks, many Christians protest that, hey, I don't see church membership anywhere on the page of Scripture, so don't tell me I need to be a member of a church. And I say, you know what? You're right. Nowhere on the pages of Scripture does it say you need to be a church member. It doesn't talk about church membership using that word. But by the way, we do a lot of things that are not expressly written in Scripture. I don't see... AV equipment in scripture or drums in worship or pianos or guitars pews air conditioning I mean, we want to say hey it's not in the bible we ain't doing it you know nothing not one thing that's not in the bible well you know okay <laughs> we don't want to do what the bible says don't do but If it's consistent with what the Bible says, we can do it. And what I see is consistently in the Scripture, a local church knows who's in and who's out. We can call it membership. We can call it fellowship. We can call it partnership. We can call it whatever. And we can make the means of being a member. You know, you got to run around the church three times and scream, Hallelujah! And you're in, okay? Or we can say whatever it is, but every church should have a means to identify who is in, who is professing faith in Jesus Christ and connected to and committed to this local church. For us at the chapel, we call that membership, as do most churches in our culture. And I think every believer in Jesus Christ ought to be a member, or whatever you want to call it, of a local church. Not just have their name on a roll, by the way, never to show up again. But as we said a minute ago, connected in, committed to, and regularly gathering with. And I don't say any of those things to try to get more people sitting in the pews here or to make me feel better when I turn in the reports to the elders and deacons, you know, and say, because they go, oh, you're not getting your quota of new people. I say it because I believe it's true. Because Jesus says this is what a church looks like. You get all that out of those little verses there? Yeah, I do. But if that's not enough, we'll see more of it in Ephesians when we get there. Very quickly, though, let me me end. Two things, just very quickly. Let me note two astounding things that Jesus says about the church which should make us realize this is big. This is huge if what we've said so far isn't enough. Notice verse 19. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What we find here in this verse is what the purpose of the church is. Now a lot of folks read this verse, and they and I, and I admit, we read this verse and we go, what in the world is he talking about? And some people have come up with some pretty strange understandings of this verse, but really it's not that hard The difficulties come, I think, because of some poor translations and not understanding really what the Greek says here. And I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't don't speak Greek. I don't read Greek. Larry Dyer does. You have questions, you ask him. 
Okay, Dr. Dyer knows his stuff in Greek. But I read the experts, and let me, there's a great, let me give you here a great translation of this from the Net Bible, because it nails it. I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. In other words, it's not us getting heaven to do what we want. It's us doing what heaven has already decreed. You see, what Jesus is saying is that the church is God's chosen instrument to do his work in this world today. And we are to be doing whatever it is he has already decreed. Primarily, that is that we are to be sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and making disciples. That is the big mission Jesus gave us before he ascended to heaven. Lastly, the last two verses I'm going to read. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. What's he saying? There is a unique presence and power in the church. When we gather as the local church, there is a unique sense in which Jesus is here with us. And there is a unique working of his power among us and through us as his people. The power is not us. It's not in the music or the programs. It's not in the pastor or a great worship team. It's not in wonderful facilities. It's not in lights and fog machines. The power is found in the gathering of the people of God the church of Jesus Christ, as we gather and he is here with us and as he begins to change us and remake us and reshape us and equip us and grow us and send us out into the world to do his work. Does the church matter? Yes, it does. The church is the presence and the power of Christ in the world today. Why anyone who names the name of Christ doesn't want to be a part of that confounds me. They are missing out on so much, and we'll see more in the next three weeks. we got to end. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reality. Thank you for the church. We don't walk this journey of walking with Jesus, of living for Christ. We don't do it alone. You've put us into community. And the Christian life is all about one another. So many verses, so many commands about one another. So, Father, we thank you for the reality of the church universal And all that you are doing through that, but we thank you for the church local. We thank you for this church, the Chapel of the Lake. 
for all that you are doing here and all that you desire to do here. And so, Father, I pray that you would have your way here with us, that as we come together, as we live together as brothers and sisters, as we submit ourselves and commit ourselves to one another and to following your word, that you will do marvelous things in us, that you'll do marvelous things through us, that you will accomplish in and through this church everything that is your desire to do, that we will see you do things that bring great glory to Jesus. To him be all the praise and the glory. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with him this week.